Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022 with a total of $1.2 million in prizes across Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. The wait is over. Tron Grand Hackathon presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondao.org. Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. What does it mean to be at large? <laughs> Just look at my midsection. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Melton Demures, who's one of our guests. She's at CoinShares. And then we have Vanessa. You have a new company. Yeah, Aglae Ventures. Aglae Ventures. We'll get into the name and understand what it means. Guys, you were just on my panel at Salt. We were. It yeah. was spicy. It wasn't. It was spicy. Fintech. Fintech and, and the future of DeFi. And I guess. Frank is starting a bank. You heard it here first. Frank, I scooped you on the scoop, Frank. Frank Bank. <laughs> I wish we could have like two hours to do this, but unfortunately, I have my my dinner at six. Geriatric. Dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Early bird special. <laughs> When's the last time you've had dinner at six with someone work-related? I, I don't remember ever having a dinner at six. It's so early, right? Yeah. Anyway, I hope they don't listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Just straight roasting them. <laughs> I'm going to mention it at the dinner. I'm going to be like, people thought this was kind of early. Well, maybe they wake up really early. <laughs> maybe they're 70. <laughs> <laughs> we don't judge we don't. We work in crypto. This is a judgment-free zone. Okay, but we do We do judge certain companies as VCs. Do we even ask and them sometimes? you have to pick winners and losers. What's the landscape look like right now, Vanessa? Like, are, are deals reasonable? It looks great. 
um, great founders, second-time founders in crypto are raising money, mm. creating new primitives, new companies at reasonable valuations. There are still some, like we said during the panel, there's still some overvalued deals. But the quality of the talent that's flowing into the space is incredible. Everyone from Web2 is coming in and second-time founders from Web3 are continuing to create really interesting projects. So we're pretty excited about the space right now and the fact that valuations are being more reasonable. And the time to close on deals has elongated. You don't have to get them done in three days, two days. Now you have like two weeks to do it, right? I mean, not always, but I have such PTSD from 2021 and just the way people wanted to handle diligence, i.e. there was none, and the way people wanted to handle closing, it was like, okay, talk today, sign and wire tomorrow. And I'm like, that, that's, that, no, that's not. Sometimes the founders wouldn't, I've talked to some investors who have talked about founders who wouldn't even get on the phone with them. Just here's the deck, here's yep. the Addy. If there was a deck. <laughs> yeah, a lot of no decks. Uh, there was also situations where you would ask questions and they would say, we're not answering that. If you don't get it, you can't be in the round. And I was like, okay, I, get, I guess I'm dumb. So what was that, like 20% of deals, 15%? No, I don't think it was that Not dramatic. that crazy. No. I think it was probably closer to 5 to 10%, but those deals were fairly self-selecting. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, there were some very young entrepreneurs, they you know, maybe we're not as attuned to the the process mm -hmm. as, as second time or third time, you know, founders. So they just wanted to get things done quickly and and start working. There's One also a misunderstanding, sorry, of how venture works. Okay. Um. So a lot of entrepreneurs are like, okay, I talked to an investor and then they send me money. And I was like, well, no, we have to do KYC AML before we send you money we have to call someone at the company to confirm wiring or uh, uh crypto sending usdcing usdting instructions like there are process steps you follow we have to have legal counsel review the term but sheet melton i'm a dow just send the money there are still there's still a process you go through and again the reason that happens is because venture is an asset class like investing has existed for hundreds of years modern this modern form of investing has existed for 70 years like there's a reason we have a process and it's because history has taught us that when you don't have that process shit goes sideways real fast mm -hmm. so you know j the new medium doesn't change the message and the fact that like, you have to do the work as the investor you kind of sound like gary gensler in a way <sighs> That's, that's like the, kind of how he defends securities laws. That's the meanest thing you've ever <laughs> said to me. I'm not advocating for things being securities. I am advocating, however, as an allocator that is a steward of other people's money, i.e. someone who's a fiduciary and like every crypto fund is regulated in some jurisdiction. There are certain things you're responsible for doing. Mm -hmm. And when you don't do them, that's when you get three arrows. Yes, I don't know if you brought this up on the panel, but I'm going to ask you the question. We've also seen a big shift away from the SAFs, right? Yeah. To uh, we only see safes and token warrants. Token warrants, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it's the realization that on the legal side there must be issues and people are just risk averse now. Or I think people really like the model of uh, safe and 
and token warrant? Well, I think there's also a pattern of projects not doing a token immediately. What we like to, to see and what I think is prudent is why don't you build a product or a service that people like and people want to use? And then if people want to use it, let's figure out the monetization model. And if the best monetization model is a token or a DAO, you have the flexibility to do that, but it doesn't force a token into a model that doesn't need a, a token. Okay. So if the, I mentioned this on stage, 2021 was all about when token, not why token. Well, that was underpinned by the emergence of the X to earn companies coming on board, DeFi summer, pickle mm -hmm. swap. What the companies, food, the foods, the foods <laughs> which type of projects define the no token era? Like, what are they? What are they doing? So there's a lot of infrastructure uh, projects that we see in CeFi, DeFi, which so are... So are we back to like 2018? The institutions are coming, Frank. Yeah. Yeah, I think and a lot of, you know, the first reaction is like, where's the business model? And when you're used to a SaaS model or other type of more traditional models, then you're trying to fit the token model into it, which is maybe not the right way of thinking about things. But like some institutions are taking a step back and saying, like, what is the value of the token? And I think the discussions we had about the governance token is like, where does the value accrue? is super important and giving the regulatory constraints that we have, mm -hmm. you know, the tokens can't be shares, uh, obviously, yeah, or behave like shares. can't distribute revenue to like protocol exactly. revenues. Yeah. So how, how does the value accrue to the token and the token holders and the investors? And so we see a lot of, you know, investors being comfortable with both the equity and the token option so that, you know, if the um, the main company has one project but also has several other projects that warrant tokens, then you can have upside in in the the ongoing life of the company. So, what type of infrastructure SaaS companies are you keen to invest in? So, we really like everything around custody. Um, everything custody. Around, yeah, I really love those. I need a place to put my tokens and my yeah PFPs, baby. And my JPEG. You, but doesn't this? I mean, it just sounds like I'm back in. 2019, that's when Fireblocks was Time kind of coming on. Time is a flat the, circle, Frank. What is the deal with that? Fireblocks, Curve, Copper? Well, if you take the thesis, as we said on stage, that all assets will be tokenized, um, there needs to be a place where people can custody them. And there are different models of custody and different types of, of projects, whether there are more like software projects like Ledger or more uh, institutional projects like Medico. Um, I think it's really an exciting space where we'll see, you know, the infrastructure and, and innovation there uh, on the security and the, the custody of the tokens. But a lot of those companies have been around for a while. So are you, are you, you know... They were very early. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine how early they well, were? Well, also the form factor hasn't changed in the last 10 years, right? The fact that we're like, this is the future of finance. To access it, you have to get a special dongle to plug into your Mac. <laughs> then you have to plug a USB dongle into that dongle. And then you connect it to this little USB stick looking thing. And that's the future of finance. And I love Ledger, by the way. I use my Ledgers all the time. That form factor is like... That's not a great form factor for the future of finance. So I think there's huge improvements that can be made on the UX side that like are, are not that. Um, and obviously people will still want to use ledgers, but for the average person, you know, I have my little phone and I'm like, 
at the coffee shop, look at my little dick butt. You know, if I want to pay with a fractionalized token that represents my dick butt, I need an easy way to, to do that. And so what is the form factor I can use on my phone? What is are that the models? future of finance? It's crypto dick butts. That's correct. That's what I've, I've read that somewhere. It was in the uh, Barron's. I believe it may have been The Economist, but, you know, potato, potato. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry, that, that's a joke. But that's to say there are significant improvements being made in UX. And so it's not just about the custody solution. It's also about authentication. It's about how you identify yourself. Sure, sure. And it's more, is it more retail custody? No, Man. it's both. It's, it's both. every. It's, it's the both. whole spectrum. And governments are going to custody. Governments are the biggest custodians of our private data. Mm -hmm. The U.S. government has been hacked numerous times. We've seen leaks of all sorts of data, whether that's um, OPM, the Office of Personnel Management. The IRS has been hacked and has leaked tons of very sensitive taxpayer data. So it's both institutions like governments, it's enterprises, and it's, it's retail. And then there are new digital entities that are not individuals at all. My device is an entity. So how does that store and manage its data? all the tokens, all the little bits and bytes we're sending back and forth. So I think the number of players that need custody is, is not necessarily always so well understood. Are you seeing any sort of glimmer in the DeFi market that there could be a, a comeback? Are you playing there? Is I love the DeFi space. I think, you know, we're just at the beginning. Um, so we've had some foundational uh, companies and, and projects like Aave, like compounds like Uniswap who have created incredible models that we're solving for an issue for the crypto users, right? But out of that model, we realized that the, the larger public could have access to these yields that are, you know, pretty secure as they are over collateralized. And taking a step back, you know, people say, oh, we can have access to the treasury yields and we can have X percent. Why would we use DeFi? Well, institutions have that, but individuals don't. And so this, this promise of access to yield for everyone, I think, is pretty powerful. And we're going to see a lot of different models come out of it. We see a lot of projects on the derivative side, on the lending side. Meltem spoke of Maple. And so we're seeing both new primitives in the DeFi side new uh, derivative products coming out. We see them in all the ecosystems, so Ethereum, Avalanche, uh, Cosmos, and other ecosystems. So it's a really exciting space. I mean, there's tons of projects. There's yeah. copy and paste, but I think it's going to be a very dynamic time for DeFi in the future. But I think the model for investing in DeFi has changed, where as we recognize that governance tokens in the DeFi space are not effective value accrual mechanisms, like for example, Uniswap is an incredibly valuable protocol, but the token hasn't necessarily done a great job capturing that value, because even though usage of Uniswap has increased dramatically, the price of the token has, has languished. Um, so I think there's now consideration of the fact that tokens, in particular governance tokens, are not necessarily the best way to capture value creation. And so it sounds very 2018, but I think a lot of DeFi protocols are going back to this model and asking, okay, how do we actually capture value accrual in a sustainable way that allows us to continue to fund development and growth? And how do we also do it in a way that actually makes sense for investors, particularly as you get to the later stages, like a growth equity investor or an investor who's willing to write really large checks is going to have some fundamental questions around monetization that doesn't just rely on number go up 
tokenomics. Mm. And I think the attention that regulators are paying really shows how important this has become, right? It's actually a small number compared to the overall capital markets, but the mechanisms that it unlocks and the potential it unlocks, everyone sees it, including the regulators. And so I think we're at a pivotal point where, you know, we're probably going to get regulatory clarity and it's going to unlock a lot of things. In a way, like USDC and partnering with BlackRock, right, is a great example of that. So they're they're effectively becoming a regulated on-chain money market fund, which I think is great validation. We see um, OCC chartered banks issuing stable coins. We see new regimes in other jurisdictions for how chartered banks can provide proof of reserves and issue stable coins. So I do think that's huge area for growth. And then those sad or not, maybe not sad, but I think the very telling fact is as much as we love to talk about DeFi, 20% of the crypto market cap today is stablecoins, up from 10% a year ago. Um, and so I think there is a growing awareness that a lot of the opportunity is how do we take these really cool primitives we've built and make them compatible with the trillions of dollars of institutional capital that are out there in a way that actually is useful at scale. And unfortunately, like unregulated protocols and unregulated money market funds are just tough to scale. Once you have 50, 60 billion dollars, where do you put it? That's the tether problem, right? Like mm. where do you put 60 billion dollars of cash? Yeah. Tough question. That's a really tough one. We'll have to ask Paolo next time he's on the show. Um, Bank of Frank would be a great option, but you haven't launched. I haven't launched yet, but once that gets going, that's going to be huge. Give Frankie a call. Yeah. <laughs> Frankie's we'll got your back. Very easy KYC. <laughs> very simple UX and design. Yes. All of the money you deposit goes into Frank's bank account. Yes. Frank. Simple. Easy. I'm trying to think of a catchphrase for it, a slogan. Just frankly, Frank. Frankly, bank. <laughs> bank, frankly. Bank. Frank. There, fuck. Yeah. Bank, frankly. That's way. This is why you're rich and I'm not. <laughs> I just, it's simple. It's simple. TM. Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022. There are a total of $1.2 million in prizes up for grabs in Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. So what are you waiting for? Join Tron for an opportunity to showcase your work, win funding for your project, and network with other builders in the community. Tron Grand Hackathon, presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondao.org. Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. A pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics, IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, 
serotanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white and woodland green. Discover the new collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. Okay, one thing that, one area of the market that seemed super reliant on tokens and number go up economics, as I call it. My favorite. Axie, the gaming world. Would you agree or disagree? I think the Axie uh, model uh, was interesting as an experiment, um, but I, I think we need to find some more sustainable ways of engaging people in gaming. It's a very politically correct answer. I love, um, yeah. there was an article that came out about a company, or maybe it was like some metaverse consultant. He was talking about how poor people, People should be NPCs or non-playable characters in metaverse games. <laughs> like they would just be space filler <laughs> that you hire. And like we laugh, but it's so dystopian yeah. in a way. Um, it's kind of what it was. I, I think Axie was funny because, and I think maybe Kobe tweeted about this. Like, if you want to do play to earn game, you could build a game or you could just make a box that you click repeatedly and over time to get yield and over time, like the yield the box gives you just goes down and down and down until you have to click it thousands of times to get anything out of it. Well, that's what Axie is, but with the trappings of a game. Yeah, you're like a little puffy character. Yeah. So I think the question is, I grew up playing games and I didn't play games because of money. I played games because they were cool and they were fun. I was an RPG girl and I love like story-driven games or world-building games, but people don't play them because they're gonna get rich. They play them because they want clout or like I wanna get grail items. I love managing my inventory in the game, super fun. I wanna organize my spells and yeah, you're nodding. Yeah, I wanna organize my spells and all my little accessories and my potions. So I think this idea that like a game needs to be money-making for it to be fun is maybe get like we're prescribing a solution before understanding how people want to interact with things in games. So maybe you wouldn't want to invest in a sort of axie like game, but you would want to invest in maybe a SaaS company that gives game developers the ability to offer their users, their, their gaming clients or customers, NFT powered, enabled um, swords, in game items. That's the, that's the deal you want to be in. Yeah, we wouldn't invest directly in, in games because we're not good at, that's not our expertise. We can't pick the game that's going to win. Uh, even gaming studios, I would say, as part of our thesis. But um, I would say anything that is gaming infrastructure, that would be interesting. Uh, we're looking at one uh, right now called Cometh, uh, which is kind of an infrastructure for Web3 um, gaming. So I think that's pretty interesting. But I think we're very early there. There's another um, concept, which is work to earn. That might work, too. <laughs> I've heard of that before. I don't like that one. Yeah. I much prefer sleep to earn. <laughs> That's eat coming. To earn. A dream token. Dream to earn. Yeah. Yep, It's coming. But work to earn is like kind of outdated. Isn't that just what we do? No, everyone's quiet quitting, Frank. Ah, uh, yes. We're all quiet quitting. So is X to earn dead? What's the deal? Is is X to earn just kind of like repackaged, like what we've been seeing in like 
GameFi. It's repackaged shit coins. Because yeah. like number go up and then number go down very fast. And then app no longer fun or popular. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that model could work. I think the question is, and this goes back to the point Vanessa was making earlier around the types of deals we're seeing and deal structures. Mm-hmm. I think there's growing recognition. Basically, what you do when you issue a token is you're basically attempting to monetize all of the future value that will be created by the product today. Right. So you're basically saying, okay, in 10 years, this token, this protocol might be useful for X, but we're going to try to monetize that up front through this token. And you buy it and you believe you will capture that future expected value today without any delivery of that value. Right. That's the reason venture capital functions the way it does, where it's like, okay, every time you do some more cool stuff, we give you some money, more money and your valuation goes up and it kind of tries to keep paper value aligned with the production value of what you've built. What I think is interesting now is people are recognizing that model doesn't necessarily make sense because it's very difficult because a lot of these protocols and projects, they've been around for five, six, seven years, and the usage numbers and the adoption numbers are nowhere near what we expected. Like a lot of these L1 blockchains don't really have a lot of true volume. Melton, what happened to you? I feel like you switched spots with Larry. You're like a futster now. No, I've always, I've always just been, look, my job, I look at data, I look at information, I use it to try to inform my conclusions. And I'm wrong a lot. But I think I've been pretty pragmatic on tokens. I don't know. I feel like you you as well, Vanessa. Yeah, I think I think the promise of tokens is still there. Yeah. Um, so we still believe in the token economy and I, I think the incentives that it can create. I think we're adjusting the models and you know, as we as we move into the future, we'll see more interesting models. I think the legal and regulatory framework might help actually not hurt the situation. So we'll see we'll see what the that outcome will be. What else are you excited about aside from like custody? So I like any infrastructure that helps mm-hmm. to drive adoption of DeFi and the NFT and creator economy. I think that's that's super exciting. It can be a token model. It can be like equity. Okay, I'm just an aside. Here's how crazy the token scene has gotten. I can't really go to crypto events anymore because I'm tired of people saying, do you know who I am? I'm like, what? I, I don't know who you are. Hi, I'm Meltem. Nice to meet you. And they're like, Do they know who you are? No, no, I'm just a random person, right? But they're like, you you don't know who I am. And I'm like, I would like to. Are you sure that wasn't me in Bahamas talking to you? I'm not going to comment. There was alcohol involved in that interaction. What about you? What else? What are you excited about? Okay, my thesis is very simple. Financial computation is the future. In order to enable financial computation, we need physical infrastructure as well as digital infrastructure. So I'm excited about energy, just very broadly. Um, So distributed models for managing energy, distributed models for managing computation and connectivity, which are sort of the backbone of how we access all things digital. And then anything and everything that aids and enables capital markets blockchainification. So if we believe sort of in this thesis, which certainly we at CoinShares believe in like every asset 
will be represented on chain at some point. And really the opportunity here is to create global um, software driven markets with protocols that's fundamentally like operating systems for modern finance. And all assets will be represented synthetically or virtually on chain. So there's this huge opportunity um, to invest all up and down that stack. But at its core, I'm a really boring person at the end of the day and I like businesses that make sense and make money. And so I'm very excited about businesses that have users <laughs> <laughs> that have a model for how users pay the company or the protocol and that have a model to do that in a sustainable way. So my investing framework, I have um, my x-axis is grift. There's no grift to very high grift. And then my y-axis is um, low utopianism to high utopianism. This is actually Kevin at Galois Capital brought up this model. It's like a four quadrant thing. So quadrant one is low grift, um, low utopianism. That's where I like to hang out. It's like, this shit works, it makes money, people actually use it, which is why I think like staking businesses, custody businesses, people like them. Because they have a business model, they make money. I like that. And then the other stuff I like to invest in is high utopianism, low grift. Which is like, okay, here are things that could work, but they require one or two sort of extraordinary things to happen. We call those like moonshots. I'm totally comfortable investing in things like that, especially in spaces that are underinvested in. But, you know, the 15th AMM of the month is not going to be my moonshot. It's probably going to be something a little bit more interesting, which is like, how do we open source design for um, semiconductors? And then can we do that in a way? Can we tokenize that IP and monetize it in a new way? That to me is interesting. It requires like two different moonshots to work. But if that works, that's potentially a huge unlock and could create a ton of value. And also make money for our investors. But isn't everything dope. a moonshot in this space? No. No, there's some... I think moonshots, like, it requires a fundamental technical innovation or a fundamental shift in user behavior because those things take a long time and are very difficult to predict. We see a lot of moonshots in uh, gaming and, and Web3, um, just shifting the infrastructure to make it easier uh, for Web3 integration. And those things take time. So... Um, I was talking to another investor about one one project, and he was like, "Yeah, it goes to zero, it goes to 100x. We'll see." <laughs> uh, but I'm willing to take that that bet. So I think a, a healthy mix of those bets is is really great. Mm -hmm. What's the craziest thing that's happened to you in crypto, Meltem? <laughs> I guess the audience can't tell that I'm staring right at you. Um, the craziest thing that's happened to me professionally, personally, Pro or professionally. Professionally. It's a business show. I feel like so many crazy things have happened. I actually think I, the craziest thing that's ever happened to me was the Dow hack. Mm. The Dow hack in 20, was it 2016? Yes, yeah, I think so, yeah. That was fucking banana, just bananas. Mm -hmm. um, and then the block size wars. I mean, I'm aging myself. I sound like such a boomer because I ask people and I go to these like Web3 conferences and I'm like, oh yeah, like Samson Mao, Roger Ver, block size wars. And everyone's like, what? Yeah. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Ooh -ooh. Um, but yeah, I remember being at uh, a conference in 2017 and I was working a lot with Bitcoin Core stuff and um blockstream and i and a few other people eric lombroso we put together like a little session on 
the block size debate and Roger Ver and like Craig Wright and what that was the day Craig Wright had come out and said oh I'm Satoshi and he did like the big media spread so like the big blocker Satoshi's vision camp was on one side of the room and then like the small blocks um UASF camp was on the other side of the room and I was in the front of the room and I was just like somebody's gonna probably get stabbed today that was fascinating people forget about those days Vanessa what about you yeah people are very opinionated yeah. Still. But Still. now it's like opinionated about, I don't know. Um, people are very opinionated about Avalanche and Luna. Yeah. And Solana. Yeah. A lot There's of drama. A lot of dramas. Down. Tether's yeah. backing is always source But they for... don't have conviction. Like when you meet them in person, they're so meek and mild. No. But these guys, the big blockers, small blockers, they, oh, they were, were never a... meek or, or mild. They would get in your face in public. Yeah. But now all those guys are kind of chilling. I think they're rich. <laughs> like, yeah. Tea. <laughs> that helps. make me rich. Yeah. One day. I think that was the craziest. I don't know, Vanessa, what about you? I mean, nothing too crazy. I think. Did Sarah... you ever have like a deal, like just go completely the other way? No, I've had like meltdowns, you know, people having like really irrational reactions and things like that. Psychotic episodes. Yeah, but that's that's okay. That's life. Um, I think what I like about the space is serendipity and what what can happen, or you never know what can happen. You're being so political with your answers. Well, she's no, just no. starting a fun. <laughs> so no, but I'm thinking about how I got into um, Web three, and I was at a. Uh, NYC tech meetup mm-hmm. and there was this guy from uh, the Bitcoin exchange saying hey come and see me at the Bitcoin exchange and I go to the Bitcoin exchange downtown in New York and mm-hmm. there's all these guys trading Bitcoin and I had no clue what they were mm-hmm. <laughs> talking about it was in 2013 mm-hmm. and I was like this is a wild scene yeah you're weird and some people were trying to sell me potcoin and space yeah. coin I brought a potcoin on yeah. my panel on Monday and I was like, this is a bit too much for me. Do you guys remember Dentacoin? (laughs) Fuck yeah. You don't remember Dentacoin? (laughs) Uh -uh. (laughs) Dentists on the blockchain. (laughs) Back in the bear market of the last one, uh, I went on like Cheddar and I was like, you know, who knows? Who knows what these coins are going to do? Dentacoin could 100x. You don't know. And then like, I guess it proceeded to like the opposite of 100x. And so Steven made the video. Remember when that meme of the like, coffin was very popular he oh, did yeah. like the downward price of dentacoin and like me the coffin anyway dentacoin was a vibe it was it was like that that was before like meme coins though that could have been a meme coin for sure oh that was 100 percent a meme coin well it, the dentacoin. idea of meme coin didn't exist yet or the idea of mean meme stocks certainly didn't exist yet the well, market we dogecoin Okay, fair enough. Yes, that was okay. Now right, you're right. That was a, that I'm was wrong. A that was a meme coin. Early meme coin, mm-hmm. but the meme wasn't as popular. I don't think like yeah, people weren't buying it like putting like serious capital to work. No, I mean, it was an I, insider meme coin. Okay. I loved the 2017 era of coins because they were so funny. There was one coin called Deep Brain Chain that was mm-hmm. putting. <laughs> <laughs> on the blockchain unclear how but it was it was something else um dragon chain if you recall was oh, like i remember supposedly gonna do a deal with disney and like they had a nascar car if you recall um 
How about the decentralized Uber on the blockchain? Oh, yeah. There's another company doing that now. On every chain, there's one. Yeah. Time is a flat yeah. circle. <laughs> Truly. Well, now it's like, now it's on every chain, there's yeah. one. That's, this is, that's the market now. Instead of just Ethereum, it's like, we need the Uber on Solana. We need the Uber on Right, yeah. But Avalanche. then there's, we're going to have a bridge so you can bridge your credits between the different chains, but the bridge is going to get hacked. Yeah. So you're, so you're not going to have any of your credits. <laughs> and you can't use Uber. I love it. Sign me up. The future Sign is Sign me up as well. Well, speaking of serendipity, this was quite lovely. Once again, we've been joined today by our guest, Melton Demoyer, Chief Strategy Officer at CoinShares, and Vanessa Grillet, partner at Aglai Ventures. We'll have to do this again. We should make this a regular, uh, regular session. Frank Bank. Frank Bank. Thanks for Bank having frankly. us. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.